My guess is there have been moments in your life when you felt a little chaotic, things weren't working out like you had thought, like you had planned, and it, it kind of one of those moments where you put your hands on your hips and you kind of go, why God, why is this happening to me? I'm not exactly sure what I did wrong, what the plan, uh, the plan was in place and yet it did not work out like I had anticipated. You might have been an, an eighth grade boy that asked a ninth grade girl in the youth group to, to be the girlfriend and she said no immediately and then you realize you're going to have to see her on Sunday for the rest of your life. Not that that, that ever happened to me. But there are moments when you kind of make plans and then it just all falls apart. It seems a little chaotic and you're wondering, what's going on? Why me? What, what, what did I do wrong? And over the next few weeks, Kale and I are going to preach through uh, some of the Psalms. And our hope is that you'll join us on this journey as we begin to unpack how do we as human beings relate to an incredible, almighty God. This uh, Sunday, today, we're going to talk about Psalm 39. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. Our, screen, our text will be on the screen as well. If you want to get a head start for next Sunday, we'll be in Psalm 16. And so you can read that uh, several times this week to kind of prepare your minds for this coming Sunday. There are moments, though, when we have this gamut of emotion in our life. There are moments when we're on highs and moments when we're in the valley. And songs tend to get me out of the valley. And I, how many of you remember having the hymnal, the book that you held in your hand rather than on the screen? Raise your hand if you remember. Yeah, several of you. If you grew up in church, that was kind of the, the way things were. And I'm glad we have the words on the screen now because it kind of gets our face out of the book and now we can project our voice forward. But the Psalms are the Israelites' songbook. And they've had it since they were written and they still use it today. It is their hymnal, their songbook. And as you kind of look at all the different things that are in the Psalms, there are moments when you read a Psalm and you recognize, man, they are rejoicing and celebratory and it is an exciting time in the life of whoever is writing. There are also moments when there is anxiety and angst and worry about what is going to happen in the near future. That there are moments when folks are angry and upset and they're not happy with the way things are going and they want answers and they want them today. You see all the different realms of emotion through the Psalms and hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll unpack some of those for you. And we all need to also recognize that there are moments when I myself am on a mountaintop, but in your story, you're in the valley. And so you don't see things exactly maybe the way I do. And vice versa is true too. Moments when you are celebratory and I'm feeling angst and worry. But in our lifetime, as we reflect, there are moments when we can look back at those moments in the valley and those on the hilltop, the mountaintop, and we can resonate with the way the Psalms kind of play out many times. David writes a lot of these Psalms, and so we'll be focusing on uh, some issues in his life today in chapter 39. It's looking at a perspective that David has when things seem to be a little chaotic in his own life. And no doubt there have been moments in your life where that, that has come to fruition too. Maybe, maybe you lost a family member way too soon. Your mom or your dad left this earth and you miss them. You wish you had that moment to interact with them and gain wisdom from them. Maybe you have a, a close group of friends that gather for coffee or lunch once a month and suddenly one is taken away and now you have to kind of navigate life without their voice in your ear guiding you along the way. 
Maybe there have been moments in your life when you made a poor financial decision and now you're realizing you're going to have to work longer than you had anticipated. You were planning on going to to Maui, but that's going to have to wait a little while. Maybe there are moments in in your life when you have a really close friend and just out of nowhere, they kind of dressed you down and tore you up one side and down the other and you're kind of left there wondering, "What, what did I do wrong? And that relationship has just not ever been the same really since. Maybe in your life you have dealt with an illness. And maybe you worked through the cancer and you, you got it in remission, but now it's come back with a vengeance. I, I don't know what your story is, but there are moments in our life when we kind of wonder why. What's up with what is going on in my life right now? And Jesus reminds us in his own ministry, he says, look, if you're going to follow me, I want you to know that when trouble comes, not if, but when trouble comes, have faith in the fact that I have already overcome the world. And if you're in me, then you too can overcome the world. And so this morning, the question that we begin with is this question of then what do I do? How do I react to when trouble comes my way? What does that look like in my life? How does this particular text help me define how to move forward in the moment? You see, when David was overwhelmed with his life, he ended up maintaining a proper perspective between his relationship and God's relationship. He took it to God in prayer. And although he had questions and he wanted some answers, he understood who God was and who he was in the grand scheme of the story of God. Psalm 39 is a reply to God from David about how he sees his life in the moment. And early on, he is going to, I'm getting a lot of feedback up here, Michael, I don't know if you can hear that. Um, Early on, he decides not to speak to others about his problems, but he ends up taking them to God. He's got a small group that he's going to end up talking to along the way, and that is A-OK, but he also realizes he needs to talk to God about the things that are going on in his life. And for us, we need to make sure that we're not just talking to that small group of folks who will listen to us, but that we are taking it to the one who can actually fix our problems, and that's God Almighty. We have, church, an awesome God. And he knows your story, he hears your story, he's walking with you in your story. You see, prayer is not just about getting what you want, but it's getting close to the one that you actually need, and that's our Heavenly Father. So let's dig into our text this morning, starting off Psalm chapter 39, beginning in verse 1. David said, I I said to myself, I will watch what I do and not sin in what I say. I will hold my tongue. When the ungodly are around me. But as I stood there in silence, not even speaking of good things, the turmoil within me grew worse. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire of words. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, 
where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Church, if you've got your own Bible, circle that, draw a line to it, underline it. It's incredibly important for our discipleship journey. My only hope is in you. Rescue me from my rebellion. Do not let fools mock me. I am silent before you. I won't say a word, for my punishment is from you. But please stop striking me. I am exhausted by the blows from your hand. When you discipline us for our sins, you consume like a moth what is precious to us. Each of us is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cries for help. Don't ignore my tears, for I am your guest, a traveler passing through as my ancestors were before me. Leave me alone so I can smile again before I am gone and exist no more. Some of us would read a text like that and ask, can we actually talk to God like this? I'm not sure that that is the right approach to God Almighty. But what David wants to reveal to us is what we already know, is that we have this incredible heavenly father that has adopted us as his children. And so he wants us to dialogue with him. He wants us to interact with him on a very intimate basis, revealing where our worries and anxieties are, where our stresses are, and where we rejoice. Robin and I raised two boys who are now uh, young men, but early on in life, we wanted to have a principle in our home, and that is you can ask us any question. You can talk to us about anything as long as you do it respectfully. You can ask any question. Why do I have to go to bed at this time? <laughs> Why can't I have sugar after nine? Why don't you want me to date that girl? Well, that wasn't a question. But there are moments where we have that openness, and God is revealing that in Scripture too. David reminds us that we have this incredible heavenly Father that we can put our faith in all the time. And so it reminds us that, that David's prayer initially is in this proper context. The idea that he understands who God is and how he relates to God in the grand scheme of things. David is holding his tongue, though, while non-believers are around. And I think we, too, in this age of social media, need to be careful how we talk about our life, about our faith, about God. I don't know if you're aware of this idea, but we live in this post-modern, post-Christian age, truly. And it's only going to get worse. And so the way we feel about God we need to remind the world around us that we serve a living God, an incredible God, and that we are drawn to him because we're made in his image. And there are people who are in your life who know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and they're watching you in moments of difficulty. And what we discover in David's psalm is this truth, that others can tell how authentic your faith is when troubles come your way. Others can tell how authentic your faith is when difficulties come your way. And we know that David had some difficulties, don't we? I mean, if you know his story at all, he, he is a God that followed, he's a guy that followed God just purely, really wanted to be that person who elevated God and followed him in everything. But like us, David was simply a human being. I mean, early on, he is, he is anointed king of Israel, but it is years before he ever gets to the throne. 
And in that interim period, King Saul, who was the king at the time, is chasing David through the wilderness and the, and the deserts and the cities looking to kill him so that he cannot take the throne. David's running for his life with his friend group. Eventually, David gets to the throne, and then he has 10 kiddos, and one of those kiddos makes a decision that he wants to be king, a guy by the name of Absalom, who text says was the fairest in the land. He wants to take the throne, but then the coup fails, and Absalom eventually is killed, and David mourns his son. He knows loss. Then he has an illicit affair with a, a gal by the name of Bathsheba. A child is conceived in that moment, and so David sends her husband to the front lines to fight so that he'll be killed. And when he is killed, he takes on Bathsheba as one of his own wives, but the child is stillborn. David knows difficulty. He has seemingly a reason to complain. And in our text, David says, God, I am upset, and I'm not exactly sure why all of this is happening to me. I am going to vent to my close friends, and I'm going to keep you in the prayer loop as well, but I will make sure that I don't talk poorly about you around non-believers, because I don't want their view of who you really are skewed. It reminds us of his right perspective in the moment. He knows who God is, although he has some questions in his life. He doesn't want anyone to get a distorted view of how awesome his God truly is. And it reminds me too that, that we don't need to broadcast to the world what needs to be laid at the feet of God. I've always advocated for every single person in here to have a, a small group, same gender around you that you can vent to and just talk about life and bounce ideas off of. You don't want 300 folks like that. It might be three or four or five folks that you go to coffee with and lunch with, that you have life with, who can give you feedback. But you also have got to make sure that you include and not neglect God in the process of your venting. You need that small group, but you also need God in your life as well. Bring your worries and the difficulties you're facing before God, because after all, he is the one who can fix anything. In verses four through six, David moves to this proper perspective in how he interacts and deals with God. David says, look, I am overwhelmed with what's going on in my life right now. God, let me know how long it's going to be because I know that life is short. It's just a breath. God, remind me of who I am and who I am not. You see, David reminds us in our text that life is too short to be consumed with trivial issues. Life is just too short. And some of us, uh, we, we fret about the systems that are set up in, in our office area where we work. They're not exactly like we would want, and we get selfish because we want them our way, and we fret over that. Some of us are fretting over the price of fuel or, or eggs that went up a few cents. My guess is we're all still buying eggs. Some, some of us fret about uh, the college football playoff system. <laughs> some of us are fretting about the two teams that are in the Super Bowl today. My team didn't get there. They should have. And you've got all the list of reasons why the umpires made sure that your team didn't get there. You and I fret about a lot of stupid things, don't we? I mean, really. Some of us fret about our age. Remember, it's just a number. How your heart is, that's the most important thing. 
So I just had a birthday recently and uh, a, few, a few weeks ago, hit the double nickel and somebody in first service came out to me and I was like, double nickel, what is double? 55, so make it easy for everybody. <laughs> so we go to a restaurant and my wife outed me at the restaurant. So we're sitting at this table and we're getting ready to pay and she said, hey, his birthday is tomorrow, could we get the senior discount? And she said, sure, we'll fix you up. And so I tried not to be offended in the moment. We did get the discount. I was happy, it was a good time. It was good. Sometimes we fret about dumb things, don't we? Let me ask you this question. If you got a call or an email this afternoon that said you only had six more months to live, what would you do? Sit in that just a minute. If you only had six more months to live, what would you do? When I wrote that question in my sermon notes, immediately I was Tim McGraw. I went skydiving. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that list would look like. But my guess is I'm not going to care much about college football. I'm not going to care much about the price of eggs. I'm not going to care much that my particular way to do things in the office isn't the way I would do. I mean, you and I would dig down deep, wouldn't we? we would worry about the stuff that actually mattered if we only had six more months to live. And it puts things in perspective. The half-brother of Jesus refers to that in James chapter 4 and verse 14. He says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. And David reminds us of how short our life truly is. And then he turns in verses 7 through 11 and talks about the proper hope that he has in an almighty God. I mean, where do you and I put our hope? We, we put our hope sometimes in the stock market and we hope for better return on our investment. For some of us, we put our hope in a relationship thinking that someone else is going to make me everything that I'm not. For some of us, we put it in our job and our career that our identity is tied to what we do for a living. But what does David say? David says, no, no, my hope is just in you, just you, God. And whatever your plan is, I'm going to trust that you have my best interest at heart and in mind. I'm going to trust you, God, with everything that I am. David reminds himself, and then this next, in verse 8, just really hit home with me. Rescue me from my rebellion I mean, that's just where I am so many times. I'm making plans. I've got things to do and people to see, and I'm going to go this direction, and this is what I'm going to do, rather than just saying, God, what do you want me to do? Rescue me from my rebellion. Yeah, I, I, I think God took some things away from David that were too important to him, and there are things in our own life that we bank on, that we count on, and we spend too much of our time focusing on, but I think sometimes God allows things to be removed out of our life so that we can refocus on Jesus and give him our attention. And we can focus on what really matters in life. I mean, if you're anything like me, I mean, human beings, I think, want answers, don't we? We like black and white. Gray is kind of, eh, I'm not, I don't like that so much. I want to know the answers. And when difficulties come my way in life, I begin to kind of analyze and I think, okay, maybe God is doing this to me because he wants to nudge me more this way. But then I might start thinking, well, maybe Satan is doing this to get my, my focus off of Jesus. Or, or maybe this is just a natural consequence of what happens when I make a decision to do a certain thing. 
Or maybe it's you, one of you trying to pull the rug out from under me to make me look bad in the moment. I, I don't know in your story which one that might be true for you. But I do know this as people who follow Jesus Christ, that whatever the situation, you and I are called to be faithful. That's it. Whatever's happening in life, we're called to be faithful to an almighty God. And at the very end of the psalm, David closes out with this proper prayer in verses 12 and 13. David is realizing that he's worried about all this different stuff, but the truth is he's just a traveler passing through. He's just a sojourner. He's just a pilgrim. I'm sure if you grew up in church, you remember this old hymn, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You know, you better... You process trials of life better if you re remember that this world is not your home. You and I have so much to look forward to seeing our God, don't we, church? I mean, it's almost never a day that goes by that I don't say the word Maranatha, which just means, Lord, come quickly. I am ready to go home. I want to be with my God and my Savior where there is no sin, there's no trouble, there's no college football playoff to get mad at. I mean, the list goes on. It's just gonna be a great time with our heavenly father. And I think David is saying in this Psalm, he says, listen, God, please remove this thing out of my life because I know life is short and I wanna spend the rest of my days giving you glory in everything that I do and say. Remove it from me so that I can live for you. And I know many of you in this room because I know your stories. Right now, you're heartbroken. You feel overwhelmed. Some of you might even feel hopeless. We become consumed with our own stories, but I don't want you to forget about the greater story of God. And his story is that he loved you so much that he sent his son for you. And whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, he knows your story and he knows you by name. And somehow, some way, if you allow him, he'll use your story and his greater story to draw people to him. The invitation is God drawing you closer to him to hear his voice in your story. And so this morning, we close with this one question. What could you pray for God to do in your life right now that has eternal implications? What could you do in your life right now that has eternal implications? And maybe it's just proclaiming, God, you are my hope, and I'm going to stop hoping in the other things of this world and hope only in you. Maybe your prayer is, God, rescue me from my rebellion. Help me to be the person you've called me to be trusting in you, believing in your son. Maybe the prayer is, God, take this thing away from me because I do know life is short and I want to spend the rest of my days as a person that follows you and proclaims to the world how awesome you truly are. I'm going to ask the shepherds and their wives together along the wall of this room. And as we sing this next song, I know that there might be some in this room who, who are dealing with difficulties in your life You've got an anxious moment. You've got a family member that's in distress. You're trying to figure out how to make it till next week. And I want to call you as we sing this next song to get out of your seat and to go find one of our shepherd couples and let them pray for you and over you. Maybe it's something that you need to have removed.
from your life so that you can focus more on God. Maybe it's a celebration that you want to reveal to them and how God is working in your life. We'd love to hear that too. But my hope is that you will take Psalm 39 and recognize God wants to do so much with you in your life. He loves you so very much. He hasn't forgotten you. God is our only hope. Let's stand together with one voice as a family of God and sing his praise.